Welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. And in this episode, our guest is Donna Parrish. She's the publisher of Multilingual Magazine, and she has been for 17 years. She's also the co-organizer of Lockworld and the board member of Translators Without Borders. It's a pleasure to have you, Donna. Thank you, Tanya. So let's kick things off with like a general question here. So you started off as a computer engineer, and we were just wondering like how you ended up becoming a publisher in localization and how that all <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yes, that's a good question. I was actually a programmer engineer for 25 years, and I live in this small town in Idaho, and my last contract job ended, and I happened to know Seth Schneider, who was the founder of multilingual. Since I was a tech person by nature, <laughs> Seth knew that I would at least appreciate the technical difficulties of dealing with multiple languages. And at that time, we're talking 1997, Unicode was just coming into being. So if someone wanted to type something into Word in Russian Cyrillic, it was quite a set of hoops to jump through. So I could appreciate that because I was a systems engineer. I was doing operating system type programming and hardware stuff. So he knew that I could at least appreciate that, even though I am not a linguist and I totally jealous of anyone who can speak more than one language. I, I just find that an amazing feat. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I got involved with multilingual and I just fell in love with the topic. I mean, how can you not be passionate about an industry whose major aim is to help people communicate. I mean, it's just a, it's just a great cause, even though it's, a, it's, a, it's an economic cause for all of us. It's not altruistic. Still, the end result is a good thing. So that's how I came to it, and that's why I'm still in it. That's fantastic. So multilingual I saw that it has readers in 93 countries, right? So how do you make sure that your content is truly global and that it covers interesting topics for everyone? That is difficult. And what we try to do is have, in every issue, have some things that are fairly basic because we know that with every issue, there may be somebody coming into the industry for the first time and they're just getting used to the words. But then we also try to have things that are a little bit more advanced for people who have been around the business for a while and don't need to learn about the basics of localization, but they might need to know what the new standards are requiring or what the new neural MT is affected is on the industry, that sort of thing. So it's a small magazine, but we try to cater a little bit to everyone. And I'll be the first to tell you, unfortunately, we're catering only in English. There have been some efforts in different countries to take our content and translate it and provide it there, but the market is just not large enough to sustain that. So right now we are still only in English. But that means then, I mean, your magazine, it's still the same content for everyone, right? You don't have different versions for different sort That's of, cool. um, yeah, advanced. Right. Mm-hmm. We do. It's the same magazine all around. Cool. So we thought for a lot of people out there who are managing their own content or who are involved with content marketing or any kind of publishing, mm -hmm. that it would be interesting to get like a behind the scenes look at multilingual, right? So we were wondering, like, can you just walk us through how you manage a magazine? Okay, let's see. 
chronologically, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we line out, in every issue, we'll have a topic that is a focus. And we'll have, say, three articles on that particular topic in some way or another. But then we'll also run general interest articles every issue and reviews of products and books as well when they are written. So about a year beforehand, we line out what our, our focus area is going to be for every issue. And our managing editor, Katie Botkin, then reaches out to her stable of authors and lets them know what topics are coming up so that they can submit articles if they're interested. Most of our articles are submitted to us. We don't go out and find them, although occasionally we, when we know there's a topic we want to run and we know someone who would be a great author for it, we do request that. The articles come in fairly early in the process for an issue, and they are copy edited and proofed when they first come in, and then they are laid out. Once we know what the number of pages in a magazine are and the ads and ad sizes and where they'll be placed, then we lay out the magazine. And so then the articles are formatted with uh, their graphics into what they a semblance of what they will finally look like in the magazine. And we proof them again because all kinds of things can happen at that point. And we're all the time looking through these. And I know that there are mistakes that have come through, but we read these articles a lot of times. <laughs> so we proof them at that time. At that time goes through several people. And then finally, when we're, we're ready to say, okay, this looks like it's going to be the final version. Then it goes through several people in our office again. It goes through the proofer, a copy editor. It goes through our advertising manager to make sure the ads look appropriate. And then I look at it as well. And we all sign off on it. And then, then that article's ready. And we put that together with all the other articles and the ads in, in the magazine. And we actually submit the digital files of that magazine to our printer, who is actually several, a couple of thousand miles away from us in Kentucky, and they print up the magazine. Now, at that time in the past, we have also taken the PDF version of the magazine and created our own hosted version of a kind of a flip magazine, I guess you call it, you know, the, where you turn the pages and you can look at it online. Starting with the issue we are going to send to the printer this Thursday, <laughs> we are really excited about a new service we're using to render our digital magazines. It's going to be much more mobile friendly and a, really a snazzy layout, uh, allowing for a lot more enhanced content and ads. So that will be happening starting this next week. And then we send out emails to all the subscribers to say your digital magazine can be read here. That's a big process. <laughs> uh, well, how do you manage it with like tools wise? Do you have some project management tools that really help out with all of that? Or You know, it's really funny. I keep looking at the project management tools and they're overkill for us. We're a small group. We, our offices are close to each other here in the building. We work well together. And so what really works well for us is a great big Google spreadsheet. And we know exactly where every article is moving through the office with that and who has signed off on it and so on. And it's very simple, but I like tech tools. I love that sort of solution to a system, but I can't seem to find one that's any better <laughs> for our needs. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That would be a, it would be awesome to see that spreadsheet actually. Like <laughs> it must be huge. <laughs> it must be very very detailed and and it, but yeah, you know, like it's surprising how many things you can manage with a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I the thing is I have very creative people on staff for whom uh technology is a foreign language to them. So they're comfortable with a spreadsheet and it works. So I don't rock the boat. <laughs> You mentioned that it's all very planned in advance and you get the articles a fair bit in advance as well. How do you manage to stay up to date and not, you know, then publish articles that have already been written too long ago? Well, it's not that far in advance. I didn't mean to indicate that. I'm saying maybe four weeks or something like that. Although I remember remember one time we had an, an editor, a managing editor who was leaving the job here and just to be kind to us, he wrote several interviews ahead of time to leave with us, which was so sweet. But unfortunately, we got ready to run one and already laid it out and everything and then realized that the gentleman we were interviewing was no longer in the industry. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well. So when an article first comes in the house, is after it's copy edited and the initial proof, I look at it at that point to make sure that it's timely, that it's not, I don't know. Sometimes we get some that are a little bit too much of an advertisement for someone. Mm -hmm. And so we can't run those. That said, I understand when someone is in marketing, it's in their blood. And when they say, oh, I didn't write any kind of advertising type information in there, you did, but you just don't realize you did <laughs> because it's their life and breath, and that's what makes them good. So we tone that down quite a bit, and sometimes we just send things back for a rewrite so that our readers will get the information from the article without being turned off by the tone. And mm-hmm. it's also that speaking of tone, that's another thing we we sort of walk a fine line on. We convert everything to. American English localization has a Z instead of an S, that sort of thing. But by the same token, we try to uh, let the author's voice come through. In other words, if they have a way of saying things that is not how we would say it, but it still gets the point across, that's how we leave it. Do you ever have complaints from writers from the UK (laughs) who are like, you're changing my... Changing my spelling? No, I think I think they know that's the nature of the beast here. We've <laughs> right. So that's pretty much how we do it. Mm-hmm. How big is your team? And do you have someone that's responsible for managing the team as well? Or is it just running smoothly? Our team is uh, 13 people. We're not all full-time. We sort of work as much as we need to, and <laughs> which, which sounds interesting, but that it works really well. I guess I'm in charge of everyone, but that's sort of a in name only because I'm really fortunate that this team is quite self-motivated and they know their jobs and any problems we have maybe is sometimes from people trying too hard. It's just a great group. Mm-hmm. That makes it a lot easier. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I guess that, you know, as a content marketer, the thing that strikes me the most is the planning in advance part, because you run a professional operation and, you know, companies that are producing content for their blogs and stuff like that's also professional, but it's not professional like a magazine, right? And if there's one takeaway for me, it's that, you know, it would be better to work a little bit further in advance, maybe because like we work monthly. So our editorial calendar is monthly. 
And that works pretty good. But now I'm s- sitting here thinking, I'm like, well, geez, you know, multilingual has got a one year calendar. Maybe we <laughs> should uh, go out a little further, you know, three months, six months, stick with the plan and focus on the content sort of thing. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a little different for well, for our blog, for example, for Multilingual Insights. One reason we have that is sort of a catch-all for topics that come up that we want to get out quickly. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. Get out more time relevant. Right, right, right. Of course. But then, on the other hand, for people who are managing uh, online and blog content only, maybe you don't have a schedule in advance, but you say, okay. Let's just make sure that in the next six months we cover this topic sometime. And, you know, just have back pocket topics that you want to make sure you cover at some time on occasion. Maybe there's – you want to look into something as it evolves. For example, you know, the new neural MT I mentioned earlier. I mean, it's such a, an exciting and evolving topic that that could be covered several times in a blog and nobody would complain. Mm-hmm. But you said, I mean, you do have your editorial calendar, but it's not like you sort of order your articles a year in advance. You do that. No, 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 not at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And as I said before, that is just a part of the issue. We'll have an assortment of topics otherwise in addition to that. It's sort of a deep dive. Are your writers all external? Mostly. Katie Botkin, who is our managing editor, quite often does reviews or writes an article. She wrote one recently about uh, Translators Without Borders. But the thing is, Tanya, we don't have anyone in-house who is translating or project managing a translation or localization project. Mm -hmm. We're not in the trenches. And so we feel that it is a little bit disingenuous to write something as if we were those people. We would prefer to have the information from the people who are in the know right now. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Word Be Translator. Wordby Translator is the translation management system developed by Wordby over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics. And it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for Wordby, I also used Wordby Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wordby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So what makes an article pop? In Ah. your opinion, what makes an article awesome? Like what separates the very best ones from the sort of -of run-of-the-mill arts? I think that ones that involve, oh, gee, I I started to say something and then I realized we've had several ones that were really good that they don't have that much in common. Number one, of course, a great topic, something that is interesting to a majority of our readers, something that's 
fun to read. You know, believe it or not, even though we're all in the business of business localization, some of the most popular articles are things about just a general piece about a history of a language, you know, because we're all we're all interested in that. And it's a nice, relaxing, enlightening read. <laughs> articles about the current state of the industry are always popular. Things like the surveys that Common Sense Advisory did about salary. Of course, that's something that everybody's interested in. Anything that is backed up with data and good graphics is a grabber. <laughs> with the sort of industry and, well, everything moving into digitalization, do you think or have you seen that uh, the print magazine maybe gets less traction as it used to and it's moving towards the online versions? I have. We have seen that very much, and that's one reason we have made this investment in this new digital platform. We actually have more readers who are digital only than who read the, the print magazine and the digital. Mm -hmm. I think that's something across the magazine industry anyway. We're not the only ones seeing that. Yeah. I'm quite excited to see the new design of the online magazine. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to an inbox near you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how the, because you'll have a paywall up over that, I yes. guess. Yes, that's true. There will be a preview of the issue, so you can step through the whole issue, but you just can't get into the articles very far. So that's the way it will work. So you'll get to see a lot more of the issue than you could right now without mm -hmm. subscribing. Right, right, right. That makes a lot of sense because if you do it the other way where you're like counting the number of articles you can read in mm -hmm. total, you know, like New York Times does, for example, like if people open it in a private tab, then they can see as many as they want. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is there any type of content that you found to be super like or most successful or you know, where you can tell the difference between what people like to read better than others? Well, interestingly enough, one of the topics that's always popular is uh, project management. I guess that's something that's always an issue. And we've always got new people coming in to that. And so that's right up there. But as I said before, another thing is just that like a generic language piece or something about the world today. Our, the article, we did an article on the refugee crisis in Greece. And this was about a year and a half ago, and it was one of our biggest hits. So you'd say the articles that are more specific, at least that's what I like. Is that what yes, you I think so. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then graphics and good data. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like at a magazine, you can really produce nice looking stuff. Maybe some companies in content marketing don't have the process or the designer or whatever they need to make something really, you know, graphic and visual. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's true. So you have the print magazine, right? And then you have the online version of the magazine. What other parts are there to multilingual? You mentioned the blog, right? Multilingual Insights? Mm -hmm. We used to run a yearly resource directory, which was a big listing of a large number of vendors of resources that people could use if they're looking for translation, localization, or tools. But we were also running some of that information on our website, and we decided that we should expand that, and we call that vendors and organizations, and that, that is a database of over 2,000 software, hardware, service vendors, or nonprofit organizations, or educational organizations, 
in our industry and it, you can search it for whatever you're looking for and you get and what you do is you get a description that they have submitted to us that describes what their specialties are and then you can contact them so that's also a very popular area of our site as we have a news section our news is heavily edited. We we don't run press releases, but what we do is just we say the bare bones, so-and-so bought so-and-so, here's a link for more details so that you can just get like almost a, a Twitter feed of news in, on our website, which is very popular. And then, of course, we maintain a calendar of events so that if you're looking for any any language event coming up, you can see that there. I don't know. Is there any way for our listeners to contribute to Multilingual? Absolutely. They can send something straight to editor at multilingual.com, and then we can give them information on our editorial guidelines, and we can just go from there. Also on our website is the upcoming editorial calendar, like I mentioned. We're making a change this year. We had sort of an oddball schedule left over from who knows when, and we had eight issues a year plus the resource directory. And we realized that, number one, no one ever knew when a magazine was going to come. <laughs> and then <laughs> number two, it, that was really probably too many issues a year. So we're going strictly every two months, so a bi-monthly issue. But our editorial pages are increasing. So the amount of editorial is the same. It's just going to be coming every other month. And I think, actually, a lot of people might have thought we were bi-monthly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting too, like the way the legacies accumulate in an organization, right? Like, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. Even us, like Tanya and I have been working together for about a year now, and we've done all kinds of cool stuff. Like, we have a podcast, we have a panel webinar series of experts, and, you know, of course, we're running ads and we're, you know, we're doing all, all of this different stuff. But even in a year, you accumulate legacies, and sometimes you're like, "Well, okay, why why did we do that again? And why?" <laughs> like, uh... so how how does that work? I don't know because you've how long did you say you've been at Multilingual since 1997, right? That's right, that's right. And then I bought the magazine in 2003. Right, right. So how do you do? Like, how often do, does legacy stuff pop up? And uh, <laughs> is it always fun when it pops up, or is it sometimes? Let's let's talk about the legacies inside multilingual. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here, I mean, the classic thing that we deal with is just our editorial style guidelines. You know, when we first started dealing with email, well, how do you write email? Well, it's e hyphen mail, of course, you know, and then it was a capital E. Well, things change, words change. So we, every once in a while, we have to review how dated is our, our, our guidelines. Well, email is now one word with no hyphen. Nobody, nobody, rarely do people put hyphens in that anymore. And, right. and the interesting thing about that is when I came on board, we had some excellent editor talent on board that were schools in the old school and they referenced their hard copy dictionary. And if it's written some way in the dictionary, then that's the way it is. Well, who looks at a hard copy dictionary anymore? <laughs> so, so some of those things are painful for some people because it, it's a fluctuating thing, but, uh, but we make the change. <laughs> How often do you update your guidelines? Actually, we we review them seriously, not fairly regularly. But what we do is we say, 
okay, you guys, we don't have to spell out MT is machine translation anymore. People reading our magazine know this. You know, so we ju- it's just sort of a continual process, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Is that something that, I mean, I guess all your writers have the guidelines, right? But I suppose your editor or even yourself, you probably know them by heart and you just go ahead and then edit everything? That's exactly you- what we do. That's exactly what. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't really expect your writers to have it all like very strictly to your guidelines. Does it make sense? Because I'm I don't know how long is it? How long are the guidelines? A couple of pages. Yeah. So okay. not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that those sorts of things, just a kind of a simple search in a word document, and you can find it and make sure that if you make that change, the sentence still makes sense. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, that was a pretty interesting look uh, at multilingual. I'm not sure if our audience is already familiar with multilingual because like, we don't really know who listens to the podcast. And we also realized last episode that we don't know how long people are listening. So maybe they're all gone uh, by now. <laughs> uh, where's my coffee? <laughs> right. But for the listeners out there, uh, you know, Multilingual, I guess it's the the primary magazine in the localization industry, and there's all kinds of good articles there. And uh, and it was interesting to get a look inside of a, of a magazine. Well, thank you, Robert. I enjoyed it. Cool. Me too. Definitely. Well, that concludes another episode of the International Bus, this time with Donna Parrish. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.